0: You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious.
1: In the beginning, there were humans. Actually,
2: there were lots of things before humans.
1: In the beginning, there were apes.
2: Apes are super recent,
0: evolutionarily speaking.
1: Fine. In the beginning, there were mammals.
2: What about the fish that came before mammals?
1: In the beginning, there were creatures swimming in the sea.
0: Well, the first life was probably just a single cell.
1: Ugh, whatever. In the beginning, there was some kind of life, and then it grew and evolved, yada, yada, yada. And now here you are, listening to Brains On. I'm done. The end.
2: Actually, this is the beginning of the show. Oh, never mind. Keep listening. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and here with me today is 11-year-old Daria Gupta from Woodbury, Minnesota. Hi, Daria. Hi, Molly. Daria, have you ever found a fossil? I found quite a few on the beach. Oh, what were they up? Uh, snails. That's really cool. What what beach were you on?
0: Uh, Florida, a beach in Florida.
2: Were you looking for them, or did you just like stumble upon them? We were just looking for shells, and we found a few fossils. That is amazing. So is it easy for you to imagine, you know, when you think about the tree of life can you imagine sort of like where we fit into it as humans
0: well i thought usually that we were uh really close related to apes but i didn't know we were really closely related to other
2: animals This episode was inspired by a couple of questions sent to us by listeners.
3: Hi, my name is Siri. I live in Minneapolis. And my question is, how was the first animal made?
0: My name is Marcella and I live in Ithaca, New York. And my question is, what was the first mammal?
2: These are big questions. Questions so big, we definitely need some help. We called Neil Shubin from the University of Chicago. He's a paleontologist and evolutionary biologist, which means he studies the origins of plants and animals. He wrote a book called Your Inner Fish. It's about why humans look and function the way that we do. And it was so fascinating, PBS made a movie out of it.
0: Thanks for talking with us today, Neil.
1: Hi, guys.
0: What is the fossil record?
1: The fossil record is inside the rocks of the world lie the remains of creatures that formerly lived here. And so when you put that all together, all the rocks around the world, and all the, rem- the relics of all the creatures that lived here, that's the fossil record. And it tells us about what life looked like in the distant past.
0: Can it tell us what the first animal was? Or what the first mammal was? Is it possible to know which species was the very first of something?
1: Yeah, and that's the exciting part. That's a fabulous question. And that's what interests me so much about the fossil record, is we can, by knowing the rocks, we can find the first mammal. We can find the first animal. We can find the first fish that walked on land. The whole trick is knowing how to look and where to look.
0: So you discovered a fossil of an animal that is now called Tiktaalik. Why is this fossil so important?
1: Yeah, what's amazing about this fossil is it was found in rocks about 375 million years old. Now think about that for a second. 375 million. Those are really ancient rocks.
0: Yeah, that's a huge number. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it really is. Almost mind-boggling, right? So, I mean, what's amazing about the fossil is if I was to hold it in front of you, what you'd see is the skeleton of a creature about four feet long. The first thing you'd see is, hey, it kind of looks like a fish. You know, it's, it's got scales on its back. And it has fins with, with fin webbing. But then all of a sudden you'd say, wait a minute, it doesn't look like a fish. Because inside those fins lie arm bones and wrist bones. Uh, inside the head looks like something li- not like a fish, but like a land living animal. So what's amazing about this fossil is it's a mix between land living animal and fish.
0: That's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, it really blew us away when we found it for the first time.
0: So does that mean that it was not it was more closely related to a reptile than a normal mammal?
1: Yeah, think about it. It's actually the cousin of an amphibian or a reptile. So here's a fish that's a close cousin of an amphibian or a reptile. In fact, it's a it's a it's a cousin of us and too. It's a distant cousin, but a cousin it is.
0: So it is an ancestor of humans.
1: So we all and by, I mean by we humans we all share a common ancestor with everything that has limbs like ours. So if you look at bats, birds, reptiles, amphibians, they all have limbs that have inside of them a skeleton that has one bone and two bones, then little bones and fingers and toes, right? So the reason why we have that is because we shared a common ancestor with them way back in the distant past, and Tiktaalik is a cousin of that distant ancestor. So what's interesting here is that when you look at humans, what you start to see is once you know how to look, you see history inside of us, our history inside of us. The first thing you do when you look at a human is you see the history we share with, with other primates, like monkeys and apes. The next thing is you know to look, you'll see the history we share with, with other mammals, things that have hair and so forth. And deeper and deeper, that we can begin to see, as we look deeper still, the history that we share with reptiles. And then deeper still, the history we share with amphibians and fish and on and on and on and on. And so part of being a paleontologist is learning to see that history and then learning to find the fossils that show us that history.
0: So what did the Tiktaalik evolve from?
1: It came from a fish. Uh, So if you think about things that are older than Tiktaalik found in older rocks, what you have are things that are really fish-like. They have fins. Uh, And that are very fin-like. They have certain kinds of bones in them. But those bones don't look like arm bones, not like our arm bones. (laughs) And so, you know, they just look like a big, fat old fish. Some of them actually are big, fat old fish with lungs, which is really interesting. But big, fat old fish they are. So the Tiktaalik is just
0: a fish and it just uh, has lungs instead. Yeah, well,
1: think of it as a Tiktaalik is a creature that had both lungs and gills It had fins with arm bones inside, so think of it as a fish with a whole mix of character of features that are like land living animals. So it's a real mix up, you know. It's it's sort of in the middle, uh, an intermediate. We call them in the in the in the business.
0: Yeah, that is amazing.
1: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, we found it up in the Arctic. We found it in the rocks up in what is the Arctic today, which is really kind of mind blowing.
0: Does that mean that it was a very uh, warm-blooded creature?
1: Well, that's a good question. So if you know what is the Arctic today, so up in northern Canada, which is where we found this, back 375 million years ago was closer to the equator because the continents move around and we can trace that. So those rocks that are today up in you know near the North Pole were 375 million years ago closer to the equator. So inside the rocks is evidence of a very warm tropical world. It's kind of funny. You know, here we are in the Arctic, right? It's cold. There are polar bears and muskox and, you know, snow and glaciers and ice. But inside the rocks, we're cracking inside the rocks and finding fossils. And, and we're seeing a world that's from, like, a tropical rainforest. And the reason for that is the continents have moved over time. What was once the, the equator is now closer to the North Pole.
2: That is really fascinating.
1: <laughs> that, might, that is truly. Really, I never never stops being fascinating to me.
2: For these fossils that we kind of consider, like, the first of something... Is it possible that we will find another fossil that we then say, "Oh, well, this one is actually the first of this kind of creature"?
1: Well, if you think about it, you know, evolution consists of all kinds of intermediate fossils between different species. So, the you know, as you push things back further in time, you're going to find ancestors that have some but not all the traits of the creature you're looking for. So, we're always pushing it back to some to some extent. Um, And oftentimes, if you find enough fossils, sometimes it's hard to say what the first thing is because they all grade into each other so much.
2: So it might be hard to say, like, this is the absolute first, but we can sort of see this spectrum, this evolution of things.
1: That's correct. That's exactly correct.
2: So I have one more question.
0: So what does tectolic mean?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. So the tectolic name came from when we found the fossil. Uh, We had found it working in, as we said, in the Canadian Arctic near the North Pole. And we were working closely with the local Inuit communities, the folks who live up there, you know, about 200 miles from our sites. So what we did is when we found the creature, we had to give it a name. And so we worked with the the Council of Elders of the local village uh, near where where our field site was. And we asked them to come up with a name that was meaningful to both them and to us. And, you know, in their language, but also a name in their language that we could pronounce because their their, their language actually has some, some consonants that are very hard for us who speak, we who speak English to pronounce. And so that's how Tiktala came up. They came up with the idea for the name and it means large freshwater fish in Inuktitut, which is their language. And uh, it's stuck and, and we've been very happy with it ever since.
0: If everything came from a common ancestor, why do we see so much variety?
1: That's the amazing thing is just think about how old the earth is. The earth is over 4.5 billion years old. Life is over three and a half billion years old. So we all share a common ancestor, but life has been around evolving for so long that there's so much diversity around us. It's like a huge family tree. You know, that's like a huge family that's been evolving for generations. But in this case, these generations are millions, in, in fact, even billions of years. So with that amount of time, that can generate an enormous amount of diversity.
0: Thanks for answering our listeners' question and talking with us today, Neil.
1: That was really fun. Thank you, guys.
2: The fossil record shows us how life on the planet has evolved over time. Scientists find fossils and then figure out how old they are using radiometric dating. For more on how radiometric dating works, check out our episode about the recently discovered dino tail in amber. It's pretty cool. Fossils
0: demonstrate that life has been on this planet for billions of years and that this life has
2: slowly changed over time. Tiktaalik is so important because it shows a transitional step between our ancestors that lived in the sea and our ancestors that lived on land.
0: Tiktaalik isn't the only fossil that shows an important transition in creature history. Oh my
2: gosh, I just remembered. Why didn't I think of this before? The Hall of Ancestors is actually just down the street. They have a whole wing dedicated to these transitional organisms. Want to check it out? Obviously. Let's go. Here we are. That was fast. Impressive, right? Welcome to the
3: Hall of Ancestors. You're just in time for our next tour. Good timing. Just gather over here with the
0: rest of the group. Yes, that's right. Just over here. Um, Molly? Huh? Is it weird that we're the only humans on this tour? We're surrounded by bugs and other animals.
2: Hmm. Well, nah, it's fine. Oh, but watch out, Daria. Don't step on that cockroach.
3: Sorry. Cockroach could give the tour. He's been here so many times. Good to see you again. All right, let's get going. Chicken, Timberwolf, please gather round and no eating the other guests. I'm looking at you, lion. Welcome to the Hall of Ancestors. Yes, I'm excited you're here too. Now, how do I usually start this thing? Right, right, right. Welcome to our wild and wonderful past. Here at the Hall of Ancestors, we're going to introduce you to key players in the history of evolution. Or at least the key players we know about from the fossil record. Yes, today we'll learn about animals that represent a major twist or turn in the tree of life... Let's start our journey through the fossil record with a stop here to meet Jeremiah Sinensis.
2: These diorama displays are gorgeous.
3: The creatures look so lifelike. I'll just press the button here, and the presentation should start right up.
4: The time is 160 million years ago. The place is what we now know as China. The organism is me, Jeremiah Sinensis. I'm the earliest known placental mammal. Not to be confused with marsupials like koalas. And certainly not with monotremes, those egg-laying platypuses. (sighs) They're mammals, too. But I, I am a placental mammal. Like humans, or horses, or dogs. Yep, you too, cow. Placentas allow babies to develop more fully in the womb, making them better prepared for the world. Whereas marsupials have to crawl out into the world and into a pouch to finish developing. And monotremes, well, they're mammals that lay eggs. As you can see, I'm tiny, smaller than a chipmunk, and have been told I look like your modern-day shrew. You know, kind of like a pointy-nosed little mouse. And watch out, world. I can climb trees.
3: (laughs) Yes, you can, you little mammal. Yes, you can. This little fellow lived during the time of the dinosaurs. Yes, we've heard that before. You're a direct descendant of dinosaurs. Moving on, we'll let this next animal introduce itself. Where is it? Right down here. Look really closely. That thing? It's like, what, a centimeter long? Sure, Frog. You can press the button this time. Nice jump.
1: Hi, I'm Pneumodesmus Numini.
2: Looks like a millipede to me.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Eh. I'm the earliest known animal to live on land. Tiny legs and tiny spiracles. That's me. Spiracles are those holes here that allow me to take in oxygen. That shows I breathe air, not water. So obviously I'm a land dweller. I spent my time scooting about what is now called Scotland 428 million years ago, long before dinosaurs came on the scene.
3: Yes, dog, this is a fascinating creature indeed. Let's scoot back a couple more million years and meet another ancient ancestor. Pigeon, want to use that beak of yours to press the button?
1: I'm Romandina Stellina. I'm a placoderm. I may just look like a heavily armored fish to you, but get a load of these pearly whites. Yeah, that's right. I'm the earliest known creature with teeth. Well, okay, pearly whites might be an overstatement. My teeth are scattered all over a flat surface. We call it a tooth plate. So they might not look like human teeth, but they're made of the same stuff. Same stuff as fish scales, too. How do you like them apples? Or teeth? Not too shabby.
3: Yes, we get that question a lot. These animals might not be your particular ancestor, Snake, but all of these creatures and all of you on this tour go back to a single common ancestor. We call it the last universal common ancestor, our Luca for short. And from that ancestor, which was likely just a single cell, came all the branches that led to all of you. Wow. Yes, wow. (laughs) Why, yes, elephant.
0: We do have a lovely gift shop, and we're headed there now. Daria, are you okay skipping the gift shop this time? Yeah. I already have a Tiktaalik t-shirt, pterosaur socks, and a set of trilobite
2: temporary tattoos. So I think I'm set for now. Ooh, I didn't know they sold tattoos. I wish I had time to grab some of those, but we do have to head back to the studio. And we're back. Right now, we're working on a series of episodes all about myths, and we want to hear from you. What mythological creature would you most like to hang out with, and why? Do you want to go scuba diving with mermaids, bake a cake with a unicorn, or maybe just watch a movie with Bigfoot? Whatever your answer, we want to hear it. You can send it to us at brainson.org slash contact. You can also send questions, mystery sounds, drawings, and high fives at the same place, brainson.org contact. And you can find our mailing address on our website, BrainsOn.org. And in order to thank all the kids who keep the show going with their energy and ideas, we started the Brains Honor Roll. It includes kids like Mark from Miami who wrote in with this question.
0: When lakes form, how do fish get in them? Listen for the
2: answer to that question during our moment of um. As well as the most recent group to be added to the Brains Honor Roll.
0: All at the end of the show. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Daria Gupta.
2: And I'm Molly Bloom.
0: Next, we're going to find out about the very oldest fossils known to
2: us humans. But first, Daria, I need you to tune your ears into the here and now. It's time for the Mystery Sound. sound. Here it is. Any guesses?
0: Um, I think it was a factory.
2: A factory. What do you think they make at that factory? Um, maybe some train engine parts or something like that. Excellent guess. We're going to be back with the answer later in the show. On. The fossil record is full of astonishing creatures, But we want to know about the very oldest one.
0: So we dropped by the fossil collection of Los Angeles County's Natural History Museum.
2: It's a giant warehouse full of, well, fossils. Curator Jan Vendetti brought out some very special ones called stromatolites.
5: So stromatolites are the first record of life on Earth.
2: Did you catch that? The first record we have of life. These particular specimens look like slabs of rock about the size of a CD.
5: If you look at them just as rocks, like where you'd find them in what we call in the field, if you find them out in the world, they just look like ugly rocks. They look like bumpy, sort of stacked, not very beautiful structures. The beauty comes when you cut them in half and you can see the structures inside. And it looks almost like little worm burrows or like a blobby uh, layer cake. And it's, uh, it's it's beautiful.
2: The little worm burrows, or blobby layer kick patterns in these rocks, were made by ancient bacteria living in shallow ocean water.
0: These microscopic life forms grew together to form larger clumps or mats that covered a patch of ocean sand or sediment. Think
5: of, like, a beautiful, calm Caribbean beach, and you have... Water just lapping up and very gently moving around. So that sediment is now moving over that bacterial mat and getting trapped. So now you have bacteria plus a little bit of sediment stuck to each other. And now imagine that bacteria grows through the, the sediment that's on top of it. And then more bacteria grows on that. And now you have bacteria that now when the water laps over, pushes sediment over that, gets trapped again. So over time, you just get the accretion or you get the growth of layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of sediment and bacteria until you get a dome kind of structure. It can be small or it can grow to be dinner plate sized or larger. And that's what we call stromatolite.
2: Vendetti says these particular stromatolites in the museum's collection formed around a billion years ago.
5: But some are over three billion years old. And if you think about this, it's kind of a mind-blowing thing. Before anything else was alive on Earth, there was bacteria. And we can see and touch a structure that it made that's over a billion years old. And we can touch it and think about it and learn about it, and that's something that our fossil record teaches us about the evolution of life on Earth and just the history of the Earth.
2: Now, stromatolites probably weren't made by the very first living things. They're just the earliest record we have. Vendetti says there may be even older fossilized signs of life out there, but we just haven't figured out how to read them yet. There's still plenty of stuff left to discover. Now, Daria, are you ready to go back to that mystery sound? Yes. Here it is one more time. Any new guesses?
0: I think it might be a factory, but not necessarily an engine factory.
2: Well, here with the answer is Aaron Engelhart from the University of Minnesota.
1: That was the sound of a fluorescent plate reader. We use it to analyze samples in our lab.
2: So I don't blame you for not guessing that because I'm guessing you haven't seen a fluorescent plate reader before. (laughs) Or have you seen one? No. Well, Aaron and fellow University of Minnesota scientist Kate Adamala use that plate reader to identify microscopic bubbles they've made in their labs. And why are they doing that? They share the curiosity of these Brains On listeners. My
3: name is Evie
0: from Salt Lake City. My question is, what was the first life form on Earth-like? I'm Noah from Ashburn, Virginia, and I'm wondering how did the first organism develop?
2: Like Noah and Evie, lots of scientists want to know the answer to these questions, too, including Kate and Aaron. These very first organisms did not leave fossils behind, so scientists take a different approach. They're trying to recreate life from the basic ingredients Earth had when the first living things appeared.
6: Um, we tried to put together the most probable scenario using... Um, experiments and theory, we're trying to put together a scenario of the origin of life that fits with all our known knowledge and that's reproducible. Kate and Aaron are also married. I asked them if that means
2: they basically talk about the origins of life all the time and the answer was yes. But they do have one other topic of conversation.
6: Yeah, we talk about dogs all the time. (laughs) So when
2: they're not talking about dogs, scientists like Kate and Aaron try to recreate what they think the conditions were that could have led to life. Here's what they think happened. The Earth formed around 4.6 billion years ago. It was really hot, and it was also sterile,
6: meaning there was nothing living on it. But it had a whole lot of different small molecules, because we know there is a lot of small molecules in space. Once the Earth began to cool down, liquid water
2: started to collect on the planet's surface. This eventually became oceans. Molecules were floating around in the water, and it happens that water is where chemical reactions like to happen. This kind of mixture, molecules and water, is called a reagent.
6: My work is about how all of those chemicals came together and they were encapsulated with that membrane that was like a primitive cell membrane. And then once that happened, how do you get from that random bag of, of reagents inside the soap bubble into something that resembles more of a cell? And so my work is about how you got there. How did it look like right before that first life cell?
2: And that's why Kate is making soap bubbles in her lab. Cell membranes today are actually chemically similar to soap bubbles, and so she's using these bubbles to try to model what those early cells may have been like. Aaron is trying to figure out how the stuff that's inside those cells first started to form, the DNA and RNA that make up the building blocks of life. There was
1: definitely a big element of chance to it. Obviously, these things kind of had to be in the right place at the right time.
2: So how do we define the first thing that was alive?
1: So this is something where if you go to a meeting about how life started, people certainly disagree.
2: But most scientists agree that the first life is defined by the ability to keep itself going by taking in fuel and the ability to make copies of itself. And most scientists think that this first living organism was made up of a single cell. But it probably wasn't just one magic first cell.
6: There probably were multiple first forms of life, like around the time when that was happening. uh, It wasn't just that one population of cells that crossed the threshold. They probably were several different populations of slightly different cells that became one way or another alive. And only one of them made it further, so that's why we are all, all the known life forms on Earth right now are descendants of that one population. Only one of them was the winner, but that doesn't mean that was the only one competing. That's
2: amazing, right? One of these cells won. That one eventually led to us and all the other life on the planet. And not only is it mind-blowingly cool to think about the origin of life on this planet, research like this can also help scientists as they look for life elsewhere in the universe. One spot they're hoping to explore is Europa, one of Jupiter's moons. Scientists think that liquid oceans can be found underneath Europa's icy surface.
6: We're trying to put together a scenario of how... Chemical evolution can give rise to life in general, so when we go out and look for life uh, on Europa or other planets, we know approximately what to look for.
2: And remember what Kate just said about one kind of cell winning out and being our last universal common ancestor? Well, some scientists wonder, what if another kind of cell was successful too? What if there was a type of life that was nothing like the life we know?
6: And there's actually this idea that people call a shadow biosphere that it's not impossible that there is some other uh, independent origin that still survived until today on Earth. If we find another form of life, how would we know that it's from a separate origin and how would we define life? How would we know it's alive?
2: So think about it. What if we land on Europa or send a rover to another planet and when we get there, we don't see any creatures moving around? That doesn't mean the planet is lifeless. What if something that looks like rust to us is actually a living organism? So if we really want to find alien life, we need to be able to imagine life forms that look nothing like what we've seen here on Earth. Daria, what do you think a life on another planet might look like?
0: Well, so far I used to think it would just be like those aliens from the movies, but now I'm starting to think it could be anything. It could be be something we don't even see, just something
6: really, really tiny. If we find it, it's not going to be, you know, a a green little man waving to you. It's going to be something, some kind of a slime or something. And how do we know if it's alive?
2: say for sure what the first mammal or first amphibian or first anything was on Earth.
0: But we can get an idea how life on the planet evolved by looking at the
2: fossil record. The oldest known fossils of living things are stromatolites, which were made by bacteria 3.5 billion years ago.
0: Scientists think the first life on the planet were single-celled organisms that formed over time through a combination of random chemical reactions.
2: And environmental conditions that were just right.
0: And thinking about how life first formed on Earth will help us as we search for life on other planets that's it for this episode of brains on brains on is produced by mark sanchez sandin totten and molly bloom
2: engineering help this week from cameron wiley and michael DeMark. with production help from katie Clarkson
0: extra special
2: thanks to john lambert who helped guide this episode as it evolved and many thanks to amit gupta jan vendetti austin hendy tivoli olson sharon jansa eric ringham megan mccarty christine hutchins jeff jones jonathan blakely and mark gresseth Now it's time for our moment of um... Um, uh, 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 um, 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 um,
7: um. um, um. Uh, Hi, my name is Megan McPhee and I'm an assistant professor in fisheries at the University of Alaska Fairbanks and I study fishes, in particular salmon. Megan is
2: here to help us with Mark's question we heard earlier in the show. When lakes form,
7: how
0: do fish get in them?
7: The vast majority of cases where fish would end up in new lakes um, has to be through a water connection. Most fish can't handle being out of water for very long at all. So it's important to remember that what we see as a lake on the landscape didn't always look that way. So when the glaciers were receding, there was probably a lot of really high flowing rivers that were connecting lakes across the landscape. And so that's how we think most fish ended up in newly formed lakes that followed the recession of the glaciers. And there are situations, so if we look at little ponds and lakes in Australia that are embedded in deserts, when we might show up there, we would see them as being really separated. But every now and then there's really big rainstorms that cause flash flooding and all of a sudden all those little water bodies become connected and fish have evolved to disperse during those times. So when there's high flows, they'll start moving and end up back in lakes that they might have gone extinct from before.
2: Um, um, um. There you have it, the moment of um. And now here's the most recent group to join Mark on the Brain's Honor Roll. If you've written to us, we will get to you, we promise. But we've been hearing from so many of you that there is a bit of a wait. So thank you for your patience. Sasha and Portia from Olympia, Washington. Juliet from Tallahassee, Florida. Adeya from California. Jacob and Sydney from Honolulu. Ariel, Libby, and Nessa from Melbourne, Australia. Leah from Clinton, Utah. Corbin from Meridian, Idaho. Hadley from Brees, Illinois. Jemiah from Champaign, Illinois. Tiam from Georgina, Ontario. Eden from Birmingham, Alabama. Ava from New Westminster, British Columbia. Penelope from Cedar Hills, Utah. Amelia from Westchester, Pennsylvania. Shakira from Cape Town, South Africa. Katie and Jonathan from Seattle. Miles from Ventura, California. California. Pax from Orlando, Florida, Daphne from Portland, Oregon, Ethan from Jacksonville, North Carolina, Selena from Hong Kong, Melina from London, Chris and Andrew from Columbia, Maryland, Aliyah from Merriam, Kansas, Noah and Bella from Orange, California, Nora from Red Deer, Alberta, Elliot and Linus from Bemidji, Minnesota, Samantha and AJ from Lincoln, Nebraska, Alice and Sophie from London, Denise from Kirkland, Washington, Lila from Annapolis, Maryland, Elsie from Melbourne, Australia, Danielle from Amsterdam, Harper from Winona, Minnesota, Walden from Indian. Hills, Colorado; Jackson and Jensen from Rancho Cucamonga, California; Targe and Harper from Dubai; Alexander and Eva from Brookline, Massachusetts; Shifra from Brooklyn, New York; Daxton from Boulder, Colorado; Chloe and Damien from Norwalk, Ohio; Lily from Harriman, Utah; Dean from Fairmont, West Virginia; Ed from Fresno, California; Jack from New Orleans; Lorelai from Dallas; Leaf and Levin from Brooklyn, New York; Mac from Gray's Lake, Illinois; Michael from Nixon, Missouri; Kira from Mililani, Hawaii; Addie from Orillia, Ontario; Caroline from Hattiesburg. Mississippi, Augie and Addie from Arizona, Ava from Battleground, Washington, Finley from Regina, Saskatchewan, Ace from Baltimore, Tom from Lafayette, California, Tahan from Floral Park, New York, Yuvasi from Salem, Massachusetts, Darcy from Denver, and Cara from Raleigh, North Carolina. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions.
0: Thanks for listening.